Last week we, uh, we looked at some subjects that we entitled Bible Truths That Will Change Your Life. And uh, we talked to you about a few things. I'm going to continue on with the same thought here this morning uh, because there's something about the scriptures and the word of God that's very powerful and that absolutely will make all of us to be happier, to be more joyful, to be a better Christian, and uh, to be more what Christ would have us to be. And uh, last week we talked about Jesus said, if I be lifted up, and if we exalt Jesus Christ in everything we do and say, uh, God will honor us and bless us for it. And then we talked also about uh, the need for us to always humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. God will lift us up, and uh, we're not to exalt ourselves. This is a characteristic of the age and day that we're living in, is that individuals try to exalt themselves. This is what the world is all about. And uh, the Lord said that his people should humble themselves. We talked about that Jesus would never leave us and that we can trust in that. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that we need to lock on to these scriptures. And no matter what we go through, trials, tests, difficulties, discouragements, the Lord is always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, then we finally talked about the financial blessings that's guaranteed in the word of God. And we talked about the importance of paying tithes. That God has guaranteed us that he'd pour out, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you're not able to contain if you will pay your tithes. And we talked about all that, and I won't go into it here today. But then we also capped it off with a scripture in Luke and in Proverbs. And in Luke uh, 6:38, it states very emphatically that uh, given it shall be given unto you, heaped up, pressed uh, press down, full, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. This is a verse of scripture. And these are verses, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> <coughs> these are verses that if we will learn to, uh, to trust them, that God will absolutely do everything he has said in these verses and these scriptures. And I want to just talk to you for a few moments here in the value of trusting the word of the Lord. See it? The Bible says that by the word of God, all the heavens were made. The Lord spoke everything into existence. Let there be and there was. His word is the most powerful thing in the world. I had an old a teacher years ago, a Bible teacher, to say to me, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. If you, if you are a man of the word of God, that is the most lasting, the most secure, the most stable, the most solid thing that's on the face of this earth is the word of God. And uh, I've come to believe that with all of my heart. And what Satan will try to cause any of us to stumble on is the word of God. Half God said, that's what Satan said to Eve whenever he was the serpent in the garden and he came to her. Half God said, in the day that you eat this fruit, you shall surely die. You shall not surely die, he said. But first of all, he questioned. Half God said, and this is what, uh, that's what Satan does to all of us. You'll question the word of God in your heart and mind. That's why if we settle the word of God, if we settle it in our heart, this is what it says, this is what I believe, and we stand steadfast upon it, it will strengthen us as a Christian and as a child of God, and we'll not be in that double-minded spirit that many times we're caught in. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. 
So we, we, don't, we are not double-minded. We know that God's word is faithful. Neglect not the assembling of yourselves together, as the man of some is. Uh, this is like going to church, you know. So we go to church because God's word teaches us to do that. It teaches us to worship God. When you go to church, worship God. When you're not in church, worship God. Amen. When you're driving down the road sometime, worship God. But don't close your eyes. Even keep your eyes open. Amen. And we say, God, you got control, you know, to me. No, no, don't do that. That's, there's a, it says, tip not the Lord our God. You know, it also says that. But I'm just saying here that there are scriptures that God has given us that we can rely on and we can trust because they're very solid. The word of God is a, is a powerful thing. It's, uh, it's something that we can trust. And if God made the heavens and the earth with his word, then we can certainly trust the word of God for our souls, for our lives, for all the things that, are, uh, that God has given us. So these scriptures that I gave you about financial blessings, trust the word of God and, and, you know, and follow that. Uh, there are other scriptures I quote, I usually try to give two or three. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And I try to give you uh, scriptures here on everything that I teach. You know well, you well know that. But I'm also telling you here that if we will trust the word of God in these areas, and the Lord will give us more than one scripture and all these things, that the Lord will never fail us or he'll never leave us, but he's always with us. Praise the Lord. The word of God is a powerful, powerful thing. And uh, it's the devil's business to try to somehow or another keep us from totally trusting the word of God. If he can do that, then he's got you, he's got you in a sort of a, a no-function zone. He's got you neutralized is the word. He's got you neutralized. But if you can say, I believe God's word and therefore I, I do it, faith is based upon the word of God. Amen. And uh, faith always has an action with it. By faith, amen, they marched around the walls of Jericho. By faith, they came out of Egypt. You know what I'm talking about. By faith, they offered the past. So everything with faith is an action. By faith, we're baptized in Jesus' name. Believing, believing the scriptures that says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do we believe that? Yes, we believe that. So, by faith. We repent of our sins, we're baptized in Jesus' name, and our sins are remitted. Amen. And uh, so we don't have the sins and guilt upon our shoulders and upon our minds and hearts that we had before that. And God fills us with his spirit so that in baptism we are in him, in the Holy Ghost he is in us. Praise God. So just as I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, so shall I be in you and you in me. I'm throwing a lot of stuff out here at you and in scriptures and just quoting them. But I just want you to know that the Lord wants us to fully trust the word of the Lord, folks. And this is why Bible reading is so important. Sometimes you can be low, discouraged, or maybe you're not in it. You're just sort of a neutral zone area. And it comes time for your morning devotion and you take your Bible. And don't let Satan cheat you out of that. Don't let the enemy get you so busy and so crowded. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. But don't let him get you so busy and so crowded in life that you don't have time to have a devotional time with the Lord. Uh, it don't have to be two hours long. Uh, I read one time that Martin Luther, the Reformation leader who founded the Lutheran Church, that he, he, would, uh, that he had a two-hour devotion every morning, which he prayed and read his Bible two hours. He said, if I did not do that, I couldn't make it through the day. Uh, well, most of us, I don't know, we 
probably couldn't bring ourselves to do it two hours, but you can do it for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Sometimes you start with 15 minutes, it'll grow to 30 minutes. And you never know how it may even grow longer because you learn, <clears throat> amen, how that you just can't get along without that t- period of time in which you spend with the Lord, in which we read the Bible and we pray and talk to God before we even start our day. Praise God. Now, I want to talk to you on a couple things here that that's sort of along the lane, same line, uh, Bible truths that will change your life or stabilize our lives or will improve our lives, whatever word you want to use there. And this is the one I want to go to next, and it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you something here today that the Lord opened my mind and my understanding to a number of years ago, and I hold fast to it. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 16, 13. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 16, 13. And uh, I've read this verse many times. I've heard it explained many times. And uh, in my own private devotion, uh, the Lord seemed to give me a deeper understanding of this verse of Scripture. And I want to share it with you here tonight, this morning, I mean. This is Matthew 16 and 13. I'm going to read down through verse 18. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow with them, Matthew 16, 13. Uh, it says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, the coast meaning in the, in the borders of Caesarea Philippi. I have been right there where he's talking about. It's an interesting place. When Jesus came into the coast or the area, the borders of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? I want to know what do people say that I, who I am. And they said, some say, thou, or they said, and this is what different ones begin to say, some say that thou art John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been killed, but now they thought maybe he was resurrected. Some say Elias, or Elijah, as we would say in the, in the uh, Old Testament. And others, Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, as the Old Testament would say it. Or one of the prophets. That's what different people are saying about you, Jesus, who you are. And uh, then in the 15th verse, Jesus said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now, folks, it's important that God knows who we are and we know who he is. Do you understand? It's important to Jesus that we know who he is. That we don't think he's some Buddha or he's some Mahavira or some some sheik or something, you know, somebody that lived back there that's some head of some religious organization. Every religious organization in the world, the leader died and he's buried and he's still there. His body is. But Jesus rose from the dead. He's the only one that ever rose from the dead. And our faith is in Jesus Christ, not in all these other things. Whom do men say that I am? And, uh, and whom do ye say that I am? Verse 16 now. Simon Peter spoke up on this one. Answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know who you are. You are the Messiah that has been promised to us from days of old. And when, you, and when the Jew said, you are the Messiah, he understood that to be God Almighty manifest in flesh. He knew what Isaiah 9, 6 said, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
and uh, the government should be upon his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's all of it rolled in one. They knew that. And there are many other scriptures that substantiate that. And, and I won't go into all the details there. But whenever Peter said, there art the Christ, he was saying, you're God Almighty manifest in flesh. Uh, the son of the living God, that is the body, the man that we're looking at, is the manifestation of God as the son. That is the redeemer, is the one that died, died on the cross, the one that shed his blood. God can't die. God cannot shed blood. But the man Christ Jesus, in which he was manifested, shed the blood and died on the cross. And I won't go into detail on that, only to say that Jesus Christ is everything. And, and Peter understood that. Now look at verse 17. Peter answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, your understanding of who I am has been revealed to you from God Almighty. This is almost a revelation thing to know who Jesus is. It's almost a revelation to know that he is the mighty God. There is nobody else. All those scriptures in the Old, the Old Testament says, I am God. There is none beside me. I know not any. Isaiah is full of verses like that, full of them. I could sit here and read for 15 minutes, verse after verse after verse, where Isaiah is quoting prophecy. And he's saying that Jesus would be the almighty God. He would be everything. And that God states that. And now Jesus is saying it. And he is stating it here in the verses of scripture. Now look at verse 18 very closely. This is where I'm going. Stay with me on this. He says in the, and I say unto thee, Jesus got through saying, flesh and blood not revealed unto thee, my father which is in heaven. Verse 18, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church. Now in the Catholic church, they say that Peter was the first pope. And what Jesus did here was to say he, that Jesus was going to build his church on Peter, the first pope. That the church is built on the Vatican. It's built on the pope. You know, it's built on his position as the head of the church. And this is the way the Catholic Church has termed it for years, and they still teach it that way. The most Protestant churches, all I would say all Protestant churches, says no. You know, the Bible says Jesus says, I'm the rock. Jesus Christ is a solid rock. And there's many scripture that talks about Jesus Christ being the rock. God is the rock of the Old Testament. Jesus is the rock of the New Testament. And then he's speaking of himself, upon this rock. So they say, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock. But there's a question here that comes up. And that is, why does he say, whom do, men, whom do ye say that I am, thou art the Christ? And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. Why did he even mention Peter? Why did he mention his name? Why didn't he just say, uh, Peter said upon, this, said, upon this rock I'll build my church. Thou art the Christ. And then Jesus would say, upon that, this rock I'll build my church. But he says, thou art Peter. What's the connection there? And I want to just throw this out for what it's worth. And this was a deeper understanding that I felt like that I came to personally. And that is that when Jesus said, thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. And then, he, and then he said, upon this rock I'll build my church. And thou art Peter. He was saying, upon this relationship, you say I am Christ. I say to you, you are Peter. You know who I am. I know who you are. And upon this rock, the rock of the relationship between us and Christ is what I will build my church. 
Now, I want to let it sink in a little bit because I feel like there's more than there being just Jesus the rock, but it's also the relationship we have with Jesus. Let me read this verse of scripture again to you. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou Bar, uh, Barjonas, this is verse 17, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Verse 18, for I say unto thee that thou art Peter. In other words, Peter had just got saying, thou art the living God. Thou art the, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or Christ means Messiah. Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now verse 18, if we skip 17, 18 says, and then Jesus said, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter. You say I'm Christ, I say you're Peter. And upon this rock, that is the relationship they have with each other, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I'm proposing here that the relationship is also part of the building upon the rock. The church is not just built as the kingdom of God on earth, but it's built upon our relationship with him. Praise the Lord. God would have us to have a relationship with him, to know him, to get acquainted with him. Uh, a number of years ago, whenever, it's going on 20 years now, when I was, I was pastor and I was fixing to turn the church to my son, your pastor, who is pastor now, David. And uh, we were talking, discussing about it. And we had decided that immediately after transaction had been completed that we would begin teaching some Bible studies uh, to new people that were coming into the church at the time and uh, I said you know we've always done doctrine we explained Jesus name baptism repentance and filling of the Holy Ghost I said let's try something different this time let's try teaching establishing a relationship with Jesus let's start with that before we start even with doctrine, let's talk about, let's teach. And he said, let's do that, Dad. We'll do it. So together we started working on that. And new people coming in the church, our initial program of teaching was to teach them build a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you came into the church at that time and you came in under that kind of instructions and teachings so that we understood that you've got to start having a devotion, reading your Bible, and praying and folks when you do that you develop a relationship with Jesus until Jesus is your very best friend you love him with all of your heart all your mind all your soul and all your strength and I'm telling you here that having that personal relationship with Jesus is a very powerful and a wonderful thing uh, I want you to turn over here to John John uh, the 20th chapter with me for a moment 21st chapter this is an interesting passage of scripture because it's when Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he had only been seen a couple of times by his disciples. And the disciples said, where's Jesus? I don't know. He rose from the dead, but I don't know where he is. I haven't seen him for a while. Peter said, I go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. That's what I was before I was fishing. The other, somebody else said, I go with thee. And before it was over with, there was eight of the 12 disciples. Now, Jesus' carrot wasn't around. He was gone. But the eight of the other disciples all went fishing. They went fishing the Sea of Galilee. That's what they used to do before Jesus ever came along. He wasn't, he wasn't around right now. So they all went back to the fishing and the nets and everything like this. And, uh, and so Jesus, as they were fishing, and it came close to daybreak. And he, standing on the shore, he looked out and he saw them fishing. He said, children, you have any meat? And they'd fished all night and caught nothing. He said, cast your nets on the other side. 
And they could have argued and said, oh, we've done that all night, nothing's happened. But they did it because Jesus said so. They knew who he was and Peter knew who he was. They cast their net on the other side and they caught 153 fish. Now the Bible says 153 fish. And I have, I've always wondered why did the Bible even record the number of the fish? What's that got to do with anything? It was only a few years ago that we were in Israel that we had our guide who was a, who was an Air Force, uh, a lieutenant, I think it was, lieutenant in, Air, in the Israeli Air Force. He explained to us that, that in the Hebrew language, that letters have a corresponding number to it. And Latin does. You know how Latin V is a five, X is a 10, remember, know that, and so forth. And one is a, I is a, is a one in Latin. Uh, that's in the Latin language. We all know the Roman numeral numbers. But the Greek also has that, and I never do this, but the Hebrew language also has that. And he said to our group, and some of you folks were, were some of you that are here this morning, I imagine, were, were okay, brother, yeah, you were there whenever he, this man said that. And he said the number of 153, and he's not a Messianic Jew. He was just a pure Jew. He said the number 153, Praise the Lord, if you equate that to, from numbers to letters, it spells out, I am God. I am God. And uh, I had him write it out in Hebrew and write it out in English. I got all that paperwork and stuff because I was so impressed with it. Because he, he, he asked me, what does it mean? I said, I just know the numbers there. I have no idea what it means. And he told us what it all means. Now, I'm telling you that because this is where this all happened here in this 21st chapter. Everybody still with me? Now, look at the 15th verse, and this is where I'm really going here. This is the important part. So when he, they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Now, I want you to hang on here and don't, don't leave me because I got something very important to share with you. Lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And then in the 16th verse, he says it the second time. He just simply said, Lovest thou me? He didn't say more than thee, just lovest thou me. And he said, Feed my sheep. And Peter would always say, Yes, Lord, you know I did. And the Lord said the third time, verse 17, Lovest thou me? And he said, feed my sheep. And Peter said, you know, Lord, I do. And Peter was getting all a little bit upset that the Lord kept asking him that. Do you really love me more than this fishing industry out here? You know, the, the nets and the fish and catching fish. And, you know, and I could, I could tell you the catching net on the other side, and you'd have more than you could pull in. You'd be fishing all night on the other uh, the, uh, fishing all night by yourself. You had nothing. Just one time me saying it, you've got more, you know, you, I can take care of you, Peter, you know. But here's the thing. The Lord asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And I just want to say this to you here. The Lord wants us to love him, folks, more than anything in all the world. Anything in all the world. I'm going to give you a little personal experience. When I was about 19 years old, I, I'd come, I lived in Miami. My parents lived there, and I was in Bible college, St. Paul. I'd come home in the summertime and I'd work in construction work with my dad. And uh, we were, they, they stucco work. It was big and everything was growing. They were building and building like crazy down there. And uh, I could always get a job. I came home that particular year and uh, I couldn't get a job because the boss man, my dad was a foreman. The boss man said, 
Myers, all you'll do is leave me and go back to school come fall. And I just, you know, I just don't want nobody leaving me. Whoever goes to work for him, I want them to stay with me. And I said, well, okay. And I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't get a job. I got out selling Bibles for a while. I sold vacuum cleaners for a while. I tried selling all kinds of stuff. Couldn't make any money. You know, the summertime, I only had about three months to get it all together and go back to school. And, I, and folks, I want to say something here that every one of us have been there. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of you understand what I'm talking about. When I came home that summer, I was poor as a church mouse. I mean, I'd been putting everything into school. I had very few clothes. I had, and I wouldn't let my folks buy me anything because I said, God will take care of me, you know, like that. And, and I was real independent about all that stuff. And I said to myself, you know, I just, I just don't have anything. I got to get a job. So I had made a decision. I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to stay out of school for six months. And then I'm going to work. And I'll go back up in the second semester in January. And I'll stay home and I'll work. I'll tell a guy I won't leave him come September. I'll stay here and work with him. He'll give me a good job. Uh, I don't guess I ought to pay, tell everybody this, but because of my dad's position, they gave me, they paid me what they would pay the top plasterer in, on the job. You know, that was very good money for a guy that was an apprentice like me. But it was just one of those favorite things that, that I got because of my dad's position, everything. But it was a big company, and, 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 and the guy said, you know, if you'll just stay with me here, you know, I'll put you to work. Well... I finally decided, you know what, I want to make some money. I, didn't want, to, I want to buy a few things. So you know what I did? I went, went and told him. I said, I'll, I'll work for you. And, uh, and, and everything. I won't go back to school in September. Okay, he said, you, you got the job. When he gave me the job, I went out and bought a baby blue Cadillac. Because I was going to go back in, in school in style. I was tired of being the poorest guy in school. You know, I was going to get some clothes. I was going to get a nice tape recorder, you know, that kind of, uh, and everything, just where you, all that kind of nice camera. I want a camera where I can take pictures, you know, a little old box thing that, that got through food stamps or something, you know, that my mom gave me or whatever. Anyhow, I was going to really get in style. This baby blue Cadillac was not a new one. This was 1954, and this was a 47, 46 cat, but it was a Cadillac, and it would drove like a honey. Everything and I, I was in style for a few months, and that rocked along. And as I got close to September, it began to bother me that I wasn't going back to school. And I remember on a Monday, Monday after working all day, I came home, and when I went to bed that night, about we'd go to bed about nine o'clock. I was kneeling down by my bed in my room, and I could see the Lord in my prayers as I was praying. I could see God doing like this. I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. I, I could feel that, you know. I could feel the Lord just talk to the hand. <laughs> talk to the hand. I'm not interested in what you've got to say. And without even thinking, I said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus spoke to my heart just as clear as if it was audible. And said, lovest thou me more than these? And I broke down and I cried. Right there, 19-year-old boy. I mean, guy, grown man, you know. And I, I wept before God. I said, God, 
I don't know how it's possible. I have saved no money. I said, I, I've got this car on my back. I promised this guy I'd go to work for him. I have no way to get back up to St. Paul. If you will help me, I will go back. Whatever you do, if you'll help me, I promise you I'll go back. Because the Lord said, lovest thou me more than these. Then he said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Okay. I knew I had to call the ministry, so I knew what that was all about too. So the next day on Tuesday, I went to work. And a guy said to me, to my father, is that your son's blue Cadillac? He said, yeah. He said, is he interested in selling that car? I said, I don't think so. So my dad asked me at lunchtime, I said, yeah, I'm interested in selling. He said, you know, and he said, you know, I said, yeah, give me, you know, he said, I can't give you anything. I want to just take over the payments. He said, I said, just take over the payments and it's yours. I'll sign it over to you. So I got the car off my hand. No more car to worry about. And that was all I got on a, on a Tuesday. I went to church on Wednesday. And there was a couple in the church that said, Brother Myers, if you're going back up toward St. Paul, we're going up in the Midwest. And they said, we'll let you ride with us to help me to drive. It won't cost you anything as far as we go, which was up in the Midwest. I just have to take a bus on up to St. Paul from there. I could manage that. I said, wow, two of those things are solved. The next day on Thursday, the boss that I had said, I'll not leave you come September, walked in where all of us young guys were all sitting around eating lunch and he said to one guy is the draft board after you he says yes he said you might as well go on back and, and get it and get it done go and join the army go ahead and get on get behind it you is the draft board after you yeah he asked three of those guys they said yeah the draft board is after that's when they were drafting young men yeah the draft board after me and he said myers you might as well go on back to school too just like that Man, it was free, you know, just, I'm just saying that God opened the door. Praise the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, do, lovest thou me more than these? And I said, yes, Lord, I love you, praise the Lord, more than all of these. He said, feed my sheep. Now, 47 years later, I was in Miami again. On this time, I was preaching an anniversary service in that church. And I was pastoring here. No, I wasn't. I was bishop here. My son was pastoring. This has only been, this has only been, this was in, 19, this was in 2012. What's, what's that, five years ago? Five years ago, I was invited to, to Miami Church to preach their anniversary service. Brother Wayne Rooks, who was pastor there, it was his 60th anniversary. He had died and his wife was still there. Brother Hatterball had come there. He was, had been there 16 years. 16 years. And so I was to preach their anniversary service. I preached in the morning service. Went to my hotel room uh, after lunch and everything, was studying, reading the Bible. And I read the same verse of scripture. Now stay with me on this. And I had not looked at it. And then, folks, I'm talking to you about a, lo a long period of time that had elapsed here. But I was praying and reading this verse of scripture. And I thought the Lord spoke to me one time when I was in Miami here, in this city. And it said, lovest thou me more than these, feed my lambs. I said, and what I did, I said, yeah, it's in the scripture there. He said, lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou these more than me? Lovest thou these? And that's six one way and half a dozen the other. Lovest thou thee more than me? Lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou thee more than me? I said, it's all the same. No, 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 no. I got to thinking, no, it's not the same. 
Now listen to me closely on this. Jesus did not say, Peter, do you love these more than me? Are you following me? He said, love, do you love me more than these? Because if he had asked Peter, and this all came to me on that afternoon there in that hotel room when I was here just a few years ago. He said to Peter, lovest thou these, lovest thou me more than these, not lovest thou these. If he had said, do you love these, this fishing business, do you love these more than me? All Peter would have been said, no, Lord. And that meant that he loved Jesus as much as he loved that. Do, or do you follow me? If he had said, lovest thou uh, these more than me, and Peter had said, no, Lord, then it meant I don't love these more than I love you. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, and I had to look at that again and say, man, there is a difference there. He said, lovest thou me more than these? I want to know, do you love me more than these? Not that you don't love these any more than me. I want to know that you love me more than all of this. And this is where it stands with us in our walk with God. Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you more than all of these. He said, feed my lambs. And this is what, praise the Lord, God wants us to understand about our relationship with him, folks. He wants to know that we love him above everything else. This is why that relationship is so important. And some people have a battle with this, have a, a problem with it. Because they're just not willing to love Jesus more than anything else. They may want to say, well, Lord, I don't love anything more than you. But Jesus wants it above that. He wants to know that he's loved more than these things. I, I trust that you understand here, you know, what we're seeing here. But God wants to know that we love him, praise the Lord, more than any of these things in all the world. And so what he told him here was that he was to... Uh, it was to love him and feed his sheep. Now, I want to show you what we can all get involved in. And this is sometimes where we have a problem in making a commitment to Jesus Christ. The Bible wants us to be committed to him. I want you to look at Matthew 13 for a moment. Matthew 13 and 3. Matthew 13, 3. I got 10 minutes and, gonna keep, and then we're going to let you folks go here. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. In this 13th chapter, Jesus gives seven parables as likened unto the kingdom of God. He says, Like a sower went forth to sow. Some fell by the wayside, verse 4. Some fell on, on stony places, verse 5. Some fell on, verse 7, on thorns, which is what I'm going to be looking at. And then in verse 8, he says, And some fell on good ground. So he says the seed, he went on to say the seed is the word of God and the ground that the seed falls on is the hearts of men. It's how our hearts are when we hear the word of God and receive it. Some people hear the word of God and it's like the wayside, it's packed, it's hard, they're indifferent. And the Bible says the birds came and took all the seed away and nothing ever grew there. Some people hear the word of God, they go on their way and they never become a Christian. He went on to say that the stony ground is like people who the seed takes root, starts growing, but because of the stony ground that it is and because of the heart, it doesn't have much depth. And he goes on to explain all of this in this, in this 13th chapter. 
And he said it has no depth and therefore in time it withers away and it dies and the plant is no more. It's just like the one that fell by the wayside. So one gets a start. One does not get a start at all. One gets a start and endures for a short time. Now some Christians who come to the Lord, they're ready to be on fire for God for a while. And a little bit and then after a while, they said, no, this is not what I want. And so they, they lose out with God and they go back into the world and, and they spend the rest of their life back in the world. This is the, the stony ground. Now look at the thorny ground. Look at this real quick here. Uh, <clears throat> verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now, the interpretation of that is found over in verse 20. And, of course, verse 18, 19, and 20 is where he's giving the interpretation of all of this. Jesus is to his disciples. In verse 20, he says, I'm sorry, verse 22 is the, word I, is the one I want. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word... And the cares of this world <clears throat> and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. It doesn't say that he withers away and dies. It just simply he, he never becomes fruitful because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will cause the word to be choked and he does not become fruitful. Now, when you read Mark, Mark adds to this, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts, the lusts of things. Luke says that. Mark does. And Luke, Luke says this, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasures of life. He adds that to it. <clears throat> so all of these things are things that as Christians we can allow that dominate our lives and dominate our heart. <clears throat> and causes us not to be fruitful. It doesn't say that we wither up and die and we blow away and we're like, we're no different than the seed that fell on hard ground or the person that makes a little start and lives for God for seed. These, are, these can be us who stay in the church. We're in the church. We go to church. We're part of the family of God. But we are unfruitful. And the fruit is two, is two ways. One is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, and then Galatians 5 tells us what those 5, 22, 23 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Uh, but there's the fruit of the Spirit. There's also fruit, fruit of helping people to get saved and new people coming into the church and being productive in that fashion. So the Lord says that we become unfruitful. We become unfruitful if we are like the thorns. We get choked by the cares of this world. Now, folks, let me just say this to you. The cares of this world can choke out a lot of things that to do with God. And I'm just telling us here, we have to overcome those things. Uh, these are commitments that we make to the Lord. We make a commitment that we're going to walk with you, serve you, live for you, and, and just, you know, live for God with all of our heart. Uh, but we have to come to the place where we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. God, we commit our way to your way. When David went down into the valley to pick up stones to fight Goliath, he picked up five. Boy, for years I wrestled with that. Finally it came to me what it was all about. Why did he pick up five stones? He killed him on the, he, he knocked, he hit him in the head and knocked him over with one stone. Those stones incidentally wasn't little pea rocks. They were big as your fist, you know. 
they, they had, it was a real weapon they would use, and they knew how to use those slings, and he knew how to use one. But he went out against Goliath there, and he picked up five stones and put them in his pocket. I thought, what did he pick up five? He, he did it on the first one. Didn't he have faith in God? What was wrong there? What's missing? And finally one day, I was driving down to Fort Pierce to preach a youth rally, and it hit me. It just occurred to me what it was all about. David was committed to that battle. He wasn't going to throw one stone. He had no guarantee the first stone would, would do it. But he was committed to fight that giant. When he went to that brook and picked up five of them, he said, if the one, one doesn't make it, I'll throw the second one. If the second one doesn't do it, I'll throw the third one. Third one doesn't do it. I'm, these are weapons I'm picking up. I'm going to stay in the battle. I'm going to keep fighting. He had no guarantee God would bring him down on the first stone or the second. He just knew that he was committed to that battle. I'm going out there and fight that giant. And I believe God will give me the victory, but I'm committed to it. Do you understand what, what I'm saying here? And we have to be committed to say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to walk with God. Lord, you've got me on your hands. Praise the Lord. Things may come, things may go, things may turn upside down, but I'm going to live for you. That's what a marriage vows are all about. Marriage vows is a commitment. It's a commitment to a, a God takes to a girl that I love you, take care of you, look after you, I protect you and provide for you and everything. I'm going to look after you. Praise the Lord. She commits herself to him. And it's a commitment to each other. That doesn't mean everything's going to be roses, going to be honeymoon time for the next, you know, my wife and I have been married now 60, I think one year, going on 62 years, everything. It hasn't been a honeymoon time all those 60 years. And many of you that live long times in marriage, uh, you could say the same thing. We all know that, but you stay together. You stick with each other. You go through things together. Praise the Lord. You say, look, I'm sorry what I said. I'm sorry about what happened. Sorry that it, it happened that way. I love you. Let's get it all fixed, patched up. Let's go on. We got too much, you know, too much to lose here by just throwing in the towel. Let's go on. And that's the way it is in our walk with God. It's a commitment. Praise the Lord. We make those vows to God. God, I love you. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, I love you more than all of these. Praise the Lord. I love you. It's like a man saying to a woman, I love you more than all those other women out there. That's what he said. I love you more than all of them. Amen. Amen. And yes, and amen. I love you more than all of them. That's what he's saying. And so, so he's not looking out there all the time. He's got his wife. He loves her. That's, his, that's the apple of his eye. This is the way our walk with God is. We say, Jesus, I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I'm just trying to tell you here, Lord, folks, that if we will take the word of God and these scriptures that God has given us here and say, Lord, I believe your word, I believe your truth, I believe all these things that you've given us, praise the Lord. And if you will do it, God will never leave us forsake us. Satan will try to burden you down with the cares of this life so you don't have time for church, you don't have time for prayer, you don't have time for Bible reading. You don't have time for a devotion with Jesus Christ. He tried to burden you down. That's what Pharaoh did with the children of Israel when they come out of Egypt. Moses said, we want to go out in the wilderness and worship God for three days. Oh, you've got so much time on your hand, you've got to go worship now, huh? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to burden your load. Not only do you have to uh, bring the stones, but I'm going to have you to cut the stones out and bring them. Not just lay them and build the pyramids, but now you've got to cut them out and now lay them as well. I mean, you know, mortar them and put them together, whatever. 
so anyhow, Pharaoh doubled their workload, you know. So I'm just trying to say that Satan was sometimes to try to get you so busy that you don't have time for God at all. He'll work on personal time. Then he'll try to do it on church time. You don't have time to go to church. You don't have time to worship. You don't have time. You know, you just don't have time. Don't have time. Just I'm busy, busy, busy. Of course, that's cares of this world, you know. But God has said, if you love me more than these, praise the Lord, he will bless He'll keep his hand on us, folks, and he'll never leave us nor he'll forsake us. We were in uh, Austria uh, probably about 10 years ago, and, and Brother Robinette took us to, uh, Mount, uh, to Matthausen concentration camp, which was a, a German concentration camp uh, in World War II where they had the Jews. And uh, anyhow, it was one of those places where they, they you know, they, it, was, it was terrible. It's again terrible history. And most of you know some stories about it and all that. But uh, what they showed us was that there was a rock pit that was down this hill where they would make those Jewish men go down there and carve out and whack out those rocks. And they had to bring up the hill and stack them up. They worked them all day long doing that so that when they went to bed at night, they wouldn't even think about trying to escape. In other words, trying to escape... In other words, when they fell in bed, they went sound asleep. They were so tired, so exhausted. And they purposely worked them uh, in that mine pit and called them, bring them rocks up the hill. I looked at all of that. And having done physical work myself in, you know, in a young life and everything, I understood what all that had to have been like. And they'd put them rocks on their shoulders and bring them up that hill from, you know, from a distance from about here to the vestibule out front. But they had to be up a hill. They had to do that all day long, work and come up the hill, bring those rocks up there. And then they went to bed at night, and they would say, there's not going to be any revolution here. There's not going to be anybody talking and whispering, how can we break out of here? What can we do? Let's make some plans. There won't be none of that, and it never was, because they worked them so hard. Can I just say this? Satan will try to keep you so busy. But if you'll say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to lift my hands and worship you when I'm in church. Hallelujah. It's my time to glorify God. And if we will do those things, folks, the Lord will respond. And he will bless because his word is true. His word will never fail. Aren't you glad for the word of God? Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand and praise him right now. Everyone in the house, let's glorify God and just magnify the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus, we praise you, we love you, we glorify you, we magnify you, Lord. We ask you, Jesus, to bless each and every one of us here today.